Man, so there's like this sickness going around. Anybody in their family had the sickness that's kind of going around? Thank you. Yep, there's a lot of us. Yeah, wash your hands a lot and be careful. It's nasty. So hate to start off a message with that, but man, I'm glad you're here today. Man, we have uh, seen God do some great things over the past two months as we've been through this series in the book of Daniel. We've been looking at what it means to be dauntless, to be in the process of believing the promise that God has for us before we see the fulfillment of that promise. And God does that. He gives us a picture of what's coming. He gives us a promise that it will be there while it is not yet there. And the great people of faith in the Bible held to the promise even when it didn't look like it would be possible, even when there was attack, even when there was pressure, even when no one else believed, they held true to what God had told them and they remained dauntless. Some great pictures, of course, throughout Scripture that give us uh, metaphors and insight into what it means to have this kind of faith. The one I want to talk to you about today is the picture of a seed. A seed. I realize this is not the planting time of year. But God has done marvelously and miraculously by designing life to begin with a seed. And to know that in that seed contains the complete DNA blueprint for that life. Whether it be a person, or if it is a plant, a tree, a vegetable, or fruit, contained within the seed is all that will be needed for that life. We have pecan trees and an acorn or two tree in our yard, or a tree that makes acorns, and man, if you don't if you don't stay at it regularly, at least in our house, pecan trees are sprouting up everywhere. Their pecans have fallen, pecans have gone into the ground because of our friends the squirrels, and pretty soon there's pecan trees sprouting up. And contained in the seed is everything that will be necessary for that tree. The DNA for its leaves, branches, and the fruit are already in the seed. They receive nothing else from outside other than nourishment. The DNA is there in the seed. An interesting thing is when a seed is planted, you can't interrupt the process. It has to go into the ground and be buried. You can't stop and say, I want to dig this up and see what it's doing right now. You have to let the process continue. You can't interrupt it. You have to be patient. You have to wait. So today I've, I've brought some dirt. And I've brought some seeds. In fact, I have uh, an apple seed. It is tiny. It's real tiny. <laughs> wow. I got it. It's right here. It's right there, really. <clears throat> and if you want to plant an apple seed, it's interesting. If you do the research, you'll find you can't just get a seed from an apple and just stick it in the dirt and be done. If you really want to 
produce effective life from the apple seed, it has to go through a period of dormancy. What they'd encourage you to do is take the seed, they would say wrap it in some moist paper towels, seal it in a box in a cool area, and leave it for some 80 days. That's a long time. So some two and a half months, the seed lies dormant. But it is being prepared for the day it will sprout. It's being prepared in this germination phase. 80 days in the dark, in the cold, the wet. Then you take the seed and then you plant it in the soil. And then you cover it over. You bury the seed and you leave it. You don't interrupt the process. It goes through a, a germination phase. If we had followed the 80 days with this seed, there would still be another 14 days before we would see a sprout. Two more weeks before we would see anything happen. You could go and look at it every day and it would look just like this. It would continue to look exactly like it did when you first planted the seed. Two more weeks, 80 days, 14 days before you saw anything that looked like life. Oh, but it's an apple seed. So we would see a sprout. We would see some life. But before we would ever see fruit, it would be eight more years. Eight years before the seed that was planted would yield fruit. This is part of God's design, not just for how life is formed, but also for how spiritual life is formed in us. We are soil. Our life is a soil, and God's word is seed. And Jesus made it clear in John chapter 12, verse 24, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat an apple seed, whatever it might be, falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. If it falls into the ground, if it goes through the germination process, if the outer shell cracks and life comes forth, then it will bear much fruit. But it has to first go through the process of death and burial before new life can begin. You can't rush it. You can't ask it to hurry up. You can't dig it up and hope that will encourage it to do more. You can pray along the way but there's a process that must happen. The dirt has to do its role. I heard Stephen Furtick say, the dirt has to do its work. You gotta let the dirt do its work. 
The dirt does its work by covering the seed, by keeping it buried. This is where life comes from. It doesn't happen because the seed is left on the shelf. It doesn't happen because we go and pry it open. It happens when it is buried and then it grows. God's chosen the exact same way for human life to begin. And it begins when the seed is planted. Amen? Amen. Life begins in the darkness. Life begins where you can't see it. You can't interrupt the process. You have to wait. You have to be patient. This is where life begins. When I was in high school, in fact, when I was in junior high, high school and college, took a photography class. And it was back in the day when if you took a photography class, there was a dark room. Students today have no clue what that is, right? They just take a picture on the phone and it's boom, there. Back in the day, we took pictures with our phones. I mean, our, our cameras, not our phones. We never took a picture with our phone. <laughs> took a picture with your camera. You had a canister of film. You had to take it someplace for it to be developed and wait a week for it to come back. Back in the day, before the one-hour print stuff. So when I took a photography course, they taught us how to develop our own pictures. And you had to go into the dark room, and I don't mean the one that had the reddish light. I mean you had to go into an absolutely dark room. There could be no light. And there you had to open the camera without looking, get the film out, grab the canister that had a reel inside it, this wire object with lines all the way around it, and then you had to take the film out with your eyes closed or in the dark completely. You took the film out of the canister and you wrapped it around this reel in the dark, pitch black. Once that was completed, you could put it back into the canister, put the lid on it, sealed it tight, then you could enter the other part of the dark room where you could turn on that reddish light like you see in the movies, perhaps. The old school room where they develop pictures. Then you began the process of pouring the developer in and washing it and waiting and waiting. And then you were able to finally take that out and you had your negative. And then you could go through the process of putting the negative in the, 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 the machine that would portray the image down on the pho photographic paper. It's a long process, man. It just That's why they had a college course for it. And so you had to go through the dark room so that the life that was on the film could be developed. Are you with me? You have to go through the dark in order to develop. It's a phase that we don't like much, though. It's a phase that requires waiting. It's a process that you have to go through. And boy, we are much more equipped in our day to see the image, click Amazon, click order, and it shows up the next day. You know, that's what we do today, right? It's, it's amazing, it's amazing, yeah, right. But it doesn't work that way in God's economy. 
He gives a promise. And then there's time. Then there's process. Then life develops. We've been following the man named Daniel. He's a man who's learned how to wait in the process. At 15, he is taken captive from his homeland, taken to Babylon, forced to serve a wicked king. There he says, I will not compromise. I will not give up on what I believe. I will hold true to my God. I will not eat the food of Babylon. I will not drink the wine of Babylon. I will follow God's law. And he stays dauntless. We watch him over the past eight weeks. We've seen how he has been faithful even as he aged, even as he got into situations that were pressure-packed, even as he got into situations where if he spoke out, it was going to cost him. And he spoke out, and God delivered him and kept him safe. So we come to the end of our series today. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 10 is where we're going to land today. I know if you're looking in your Bible, you say, oh my, there's chapters 10, 11, and 12. I'm not going to do all those today. I'm going to carry you through chapter 10. I'm going to reference 11 and 12. Don't be afraid. So chapter 10 is where we are today. What has happened up to this point is that Daniel has been waiting. He's been praying because his people have been taken captive. They've been taken from their land. They've been forced to live in a place that was wicked, that was ungodly. They've not been able to be in the land that God had given them. They've not been able to worship like they wanted to. They didn't have the temple anymore. They couldn't offer the sacrifices. And Daniel has been praying and praying. And we saw him last week in chapter 9, how he prayed for his people because he knew the time was coming. God had told him 70 years, and then you'll get to go back to your home if the people have repented. And he was nervous about all that. He wasn't certain they were going to be at that place yet. He had watched their lives, and they hadn't gotten to that place. And he cries out to God. If you remember, he prayed, we repent. You remember last week? He prayed specifically and named the sin. He wasn't soft about it. He was very honest with God. God heard his prayer. And the king of Babylon signed a decree and said, your people can go back home. Wow. The day had finally come. He's 90 plus years old. He's been waiting. He's been praying. And finally, it's time. The moment he's waited for it. He spent his whole life gone from his land, gone from what God had promised. And finally, it's time. He gets the decree. They make the announcement. It's time for the people of God to go back to Jerusalem. It's time to go back to where they've come from. It's time to go back to the Lord. It's time to go back to worship. It's time to go back and living as the people of God. The time has come. And Daniel in chapter 10 is heartbroken because although the people have had a way made for them to be set free, very very few of them choose to go back because they've fallen in love with Babylon. They've been there for a while. They've gotten comfortable. They like the pleasures there. They've gotten accustomed to the idol worship. They've gotten accustomed to the ways of the ungodly. They've gotten comfortable 
They've settled down. Their hearts have hardened in the process. And even though they all of a sudden had a way to go back home, back to freedom, back to God, they didn't. They chose to stay in Babylon. Have you ever met anybody? Had someone in your family? Had a friend? Who had at one point walked with God? Knew the Lord? Trusted him? But things began to happen. Temptation came along. Difficulty came along. And they end up living in the world. Their behaviors changed, their attitudes changed, their friends changed, everything about them changed, and they got comfortable out there. You try to talk to them about coming back to God. You try to talk to them about following Christ. You try to talk to them about worshiping the Lord and bringing their heart back to him, and they say, no, I'm not really interested. Anybody relate? Yeah. And when that happens, and your heart just, just breaks for them because you've prayed, you've talked, you've waited, you've prayed some more, and you've waited, and, and you want to be there for them, and, and you think, if they would just listen to me, if they would just come back, and they won't. And you've tried everything in your power but nothing changes it. This is where we meet Daniel today in chapter 10. He's been faithful. He's served God. He's trusted God. It's time to go back. The way of freedom is there. And the people won't go. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. That was the name they gave him in the early days, but he always knew he was Daniel. The second part of verse 1 says this, this message was true, but the appointed time was long. Mm. When I was preparing for this message and I saw just that piece of the verse, I just about fell out of my chair. I thought, oh my goodness, how true is this? You get the promise, you get a word from God, you get a picture of what can be, you get the message. But the appointed time is long. Now, I'm not sure what version of Scripture you're reading this morning. Uh, if you're reading the King James, it will read somewhat like this one. This is the New King James. If you're reading uh, New American Standard, ESV, one of the others, instead of the time being long here, it has, and there was great conflict, or there was war. Some people differ on how this should be interpreted, but let me say this. Whichever way you want to interpret it, 
The truth is this. God gave a message to Daniel that he was very certain about, about the future. And when Daniel saw it, the time between where he got the promise and where there would be fulfillment was going to be difficult. Whether you want to call it time, whether you want to put conflict in the spot, whatever it is, the time between God, I hear you. I believe things are going to work out. I believe my friend is going to come back to the Lord. God, I believe my marriage is going to be restored. God, I believe you're going to work in my family. God, I believe you're going to bring that thing I've longed for all my life. I trust you, God. I believe you're going to bring it to pass. You get the message and you know it's true. But the time between when you get it and when it's fulfilled is long. Hello. Can you relate to me? It's long. It feels like forever between now and then. It feels like 80 days of a seed germinating. It feels like 14 more of it being buried. It feels like another eight years after that before you ever see any fruit. Daniel understood the message was true, but the time was long. The rest of verse 1 says this, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Daniel said, I I saw it. I knew it. I know what God said to me. The rest of 10, 11, and 12 are that vision unfolded. And it is powerful. It's some of the most majestic prophecy in Scripture It's so powerful, so stunning, so captivating, yet so mysterious that people today still read it looking for what's going to happen in our future, interpreting it because it's prophecy. God is going to speak to Daniel in ways he had never even seen before. And it is so mysterious. People today still don't understand what it all means. But God had clearly spoken. Verse 2 and 3, it says, In those days I, Daniel, I was mourning for three full weeks. Daniel was burdened, mourning, broken at the distance, the time, the pressure it was going to take for his people to finally be awakened. And he says, During that time I ate no pleasant food, No meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. For three weeks, Daniel's burdened, and Daniel is seeking God. And the way he's doing it is with great intention. It's not a passing thing where he says, you know, I think I'm going to seek the Lord. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And then go about his life. That's not what happened. For three weeks, three weeks, Daniel fasts and prays. Now, you may be beyond me in this. I've never fasted for three weeks. I wish I could. I probably could, but I never have. I've tried fasting. It's difficult for me. I know it's difficult for everybody, but it's difficult for me. 
I know what God's word says about it. I know the power in it. I know there's necessity to do it. I know from what scripture says that when you fast, you are putting God ahead of yourself. You are telling your natural body's desires for food, hold up, uh-uh, no, no. I'm gonna seek the Lord right now. I'm gonna give all my energies to seeking you, God. I'm gonna tell my flesh, no. I'm not gonna let it rain anymore. I'm not gonna let it dictate what I do. Instead, I'm gonna put the Lord first in my life. That's really what fasting is about. In the New Testament, you look in the teachings of the gospel, it seemed to be that it was even kind of a regular thing for those who followed after God. It was kind of a part of their pattern. It was a way they committed themselves to the Lord. It was a way that God spoke. People that were in times when they had great need in their life and they needed to know God's direction, Old Testament and New, they would fast so that they might hear God and they might have all their other senses dulled in that moment, okay? So let me tell you kind of a personal story that happened to me. So it's probably been about two months ago now. Do you remember the Sunday that I was not here and Kyle Rogers preached? So I hadn't planned on that. I got sick the week before and I don't know what it was, but it was terrible. It started on a Wednesday night Went on to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I wasn't getting better. And it was terrible. I felt bad. Things were bad. I'm just going to leave it right there. But I got into Saturday night, and I could tell it wasn't headed in a good direction, so I kind of given Kyle a heads up. But it got to about 3 o'clock deep into the night on Saturday, which is actually early Sunday morning. And Heather, I decided, I need to go to the ER. This is not getting any better. It's getting worse. I don't know what it is. So we take off, head on down to Baylor. We're there, and I'm thinking, I'll probably do a few tests. They'll probably give me an IV and say, here's some medicine, go back home. They run a few tests. I'm there in the ER. Doctor comes in. Well, it looks like we're gonna need to keep you a few days. What? Yeah, uh, it looks like you've got some kind of blockage and you're going to need to be here for a couple of days until we can get this worked out, literally. And so um, you'll catch that a little bit. And I said, what? I said, can't you just send me home? Sorry, I mean, you can go home, but I can't guarantee that, I mean, do what you want. But so we kind of went back and forth a little bit. He said, you really, you don't need to eat anything. You don't need to drink anything until this problem is resolved. I thought, okay, I'm not one to fast, but I've just been told by a doctor I'm going to fast. So I was thankful there was an IV, kind of, and I was getting fluids, but they said, you can't drink anything, you can't eat anything. I, I begged for some ice chips, and they finally gave me that. So that was early, early Sunday morning. We go up into Sunday you know, all days passing. And I'm such a wimp when it comes to food. I mean, you'd think, come on, dude, it's just 12 hours, you're okay, you can make this. And I'm like, we might not be able to eat, can I just drink something, you know, all this stuff. And it goes on into Sunday night, we get around to Monday morning. I'm feeling a lot better. 
But they still say, nope, no more food. So time passes. They finally agree to give me some liquids and finally agreed later, much later in the day, that I could have something semi-solid and the problem I had passed. That's all I'm going to say about that. But it, what it led to was for about 36 hours, I didn't eat or drink anything. Now, I realize in American culture, this sounds ridiculous. That was hard for me, just being honest. But what came out of that time was really unusual to me, and I'm grateful for it. Because when I got to the end of it, I felt like I, my body had been through this physical reset. I don't know how to, else to explain it except I felt better in ways that I hadn't felt in a long time. There's some things that I had struggled with physically up to that point that after that point, I hadn't had it again. It's like healing occurred when I went through this fasting process. Of course, when you're laying you know, in the bed in the hospital, you know, there's not much you can do, so I'm I've got my papers and I've got my iPad and I'm looking through some scripture. I'm, I'm thinking about this series. We really hadn't begun it yet. And I'm praying and all of a sudden, scripture seemed to just come alive. I was working on the series. I wasn't exactly sure how the whole layout was gonna go. But as I got into it, I'm like, okay, God, I got this. Let me get my pen out, keep, keep going. And all of a sudden, I just had pages of insight and direction for this series that came out of that time. Because God put me on my back and then fasted me. <laughs> but it, it changed me. So when I see Daniel, three weeks, three weeks, I see he's desperate for one. I see he's passionate. And he chooses to put comfort aside. He chooses to put his own flesh aside. And he seeks after God for three weeks. This is what you do, though, if you really want to be dauntless. You come upon times in your life where God has put you in a moment where you can't see the answer to your dreams yet, difficulties are pressing in on you, you don't see the answer, and what happens in that moment is that the dauntless begin to seek God. They seek God's heart when their dream is still in the dirt. It's still there. For Daniel, it was still there. The people hadn't gone home, the people hadn't repented, the people were still there, and he's crying out to God, and that's what you do. When your dream is in the dirt, when you don't have the answer yet, when you can't see the fulfillment of it yet, you seek God. You don't use that moment to say, God, I'm not going to follow you anymore because I don't see any answers yet. Wah. No. You say, God, I don't see any answers yet, and I'm going to seek you with all my heart. That's what you do. It's what Daniel did. He sought after God with all of his heart. Verse 4. It says, now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris. Your Bible may say the Euphrates is a reference to the, the river that ran through the middle of Babylon. 
And Daniel says, this period of fasting has been going on three weeks into it. He says, I'm out on this very specific day and I'm standing there at the bank of this river. And the river represented everything about Babylon. The river represented all that Babylon was and all of its wickedness, its vileness, its rejection of God. And Daniel is out there after fasting and seeking God. He's standing there staring, looking at the Tigris River. That's what you do, though, if you're going to be dauntless. You seek God and you face the pressure. You don't deny it. You don't hide from it. You don't pretend like it's not there. You don't act like it doesn't exist. You don't try to hide it. You face the issue. Wherever you are today in your life, whatever the issue is, I hope you don't think by coming to church, I hope you don't think the message here is, try to do better this week, put that off to the side, do some good things, and God will work things out. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying in the midst of your struggle, whatever it is, use that to drive you right into the very presence of God and face your issue with God beside you. Amen? Amen? That's what you do. You seek him with your whole heart and you face the issue. You face the river that's in front of you. You face the problem that is staring you in the face. And this is where help comes from. This is what the dauntless do. Verse Five. Here's what happens next. Daniel says, I lifted my eyes and looked. And behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with the gold of Euphaz. What? Daniel says, I had been praying and fasting, awakening my spiritual senses. I was facing the pressure that was right in front of me. And something happened. Something unusual happened. I saw something I had never seen before. I was looking right at my problem, and all of a sudden, God showed up. Watch what happens next. He goes on to describe this person. His body was like beryl. That's a, a greenish color, a translucent green color. His face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like torches of fire. His arms and feet like burnished bronze in color. And the sound of his words, oh, like the voice of a multitude. Do you know who this is? Do you know what's happening here? There's another picture in scripture that's very similar that describes this image. And it is clear that this image is Jesus Christ. This is Jesus appearing in the Old Testament to Daniel because he has chose to seek the Lord and face his problem. And when he did, boom, Jesus shows up. And he shows up in a way that Daniel has never seen before. Wow. And Daniel's seen a lot, right? He's seen visions. He's seen a finger pop out and write on a wall. He's seen God deliver men. He's seen God turn men who were people into animals and back to people again and change their heart. Daniel's seen a lot of stuff. He heard the story about his friends who were thrown into the fiery furnace and they saw a fourth one in the fire with them. He heard all of that. He's seen all of that. But Daniel says, this is something new. I've never seen this before. And he 
is just caught up in this moment. But see, that's what happens when you seek the Lord passionately and face your problems boldly. Jesus appears to the dauntless when their dream is still in the dirt. The dream was still in the dirt for Daniel. His people still had wicked hearts. His people were still far from home, but because he's seeking the Lord, because he's facing his problem, Jesus shows up in a way he's never seen before. Brilliant image, powerful image. Daniel's seen a lot, but he'd never seen this. But you know, you have to get to places like that to have experiences like that. You got to get to a place where you're having to see life in the dirt before you can see Jesus in images like this. You don't, you don't just stumble across the glorious appearance of God going your own way, doing your own thing. But when you intentionally, passionately set him as premier in your life, when you choose to set aside the stuff that's distracting, when you choose to set aside the stuff that gets in the way and you say, God, I'm going to seek you and I'm going to face my issues. Don't be surprised if Jesus doesn't show up in unusual ways, in ways you've never seen him before. You know you're not finished with your Christian walk, right? It didn't end the moment you got saved. Oh, that was just the beginning. And there are incredible, powerful ways that God is wanting to reveal himself to you. There's much more he wants to show you. You haven't graduated. You had not got the diploma on perfection. You're not finished yet. And he's got plenty to show you. And the way he'll do it is by bringing you to places where your life will end up in the dirt. Right? Let's go on. Verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Man, every version here is just packed with truth. Daniel says, I was out there. I'd been seeking God. I'm facing my issue. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up in a way I've never seen before, and there's some guys with me. And I'm looking around, and they don't see it. They don't get it. They don't even understand what's happening. Instead, they get afraid and run off. And Daniel says, and I, Daniel, was alone in seeing the vision. God's going to speak some things to you through his word, by his spirit. And you're going to go talk to a friend and try to explain to them what happened. And they're going to look at you like you are crazy. They are not going to believe you. Because when God gives a vision, he gives it to you. It'll be true. The time will be long. But don't expect everybody else to understand what God has said to you alone. Amen? Let's follow the story just a little bit further. Verse 8, Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor, my strength, my vitality 
was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Daniel said, I was just completely undone when I saw this. I didn't have anything left in me. This, this appearance of Jesus was overwhelming. Verse 9, he says, yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Now, let me set this straight because I'm sure you're getting an image maybe like I first did when I read this passage. Like, Jesus shows up and you're like, oh my Lord, and you fall down on your face and that's not what it means here. This word for sleep is a word that means stunned, shocked. He's in this moment of just awe. He's somewhere in between aware of what's happening and aware of Jesus being there. And he's not really fully in either, but he's taking it all in. And it says while he's there, he's on his face. He's on the ground. He says, verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. Daniel's down on the ground, face to the ground. He realizes this is God's son. He is overwhelmed at his holiness. He can't even look up. And while he's in this place of just absolute wonder and worship, not caring that his friends don't see it, not caring that his friends have left, he is just in awe. A hand reaches out and touches him. It's going to be the hand of God himself who will touch him when he is in this state of absolute awe at who God is. Verse 11, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Daniel said, I've seen a lot of stuff, but this was incredible. This hand touched me. And God spoke to me. He called me beloved. He spoke straight to me. I heard him, and I just stood there trembling, just shaking at what was happening. I'm thinking, wow, what an amazing worship experience he was having. He had shut out everything else that was going on, and he was caught up in Jesus standing there right in front of him. And he's in awe. He's touched him. He spoke to him. I'm going to skip on down to verse 16. It says, And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth. So this this one touches him, but he's so close that he reaches out and touches his mouth. This is how close the Son of God is to him. And he says, he's saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me and I have retained no strength. Daniel says, he talked to him. He said, you've spoken to me. You've reached out and touched me. I don't have any strength in me. I can't do anything. 
Daniel is broken. He is openly admitting his weakness. He's openly admitting his desperate need. He's openly confessing his weakness. And this is what you do if you really want to be dauntless. You've got to get to the place where you say, God, I don't deserve your mercy. You tell me I'm beloved, I'll stand, but I'm trembling. And when he touches you, when you feel his presence close, then you confess your sin. You admit where you're weak. You don't hide it. You don't cover it. You don't pretend like it doesn't exist. You don't worry about what the person next to you thinks. You don't worry about what your family's going to say. You are just perfectly honest with God. This is what brings you to the place of being dauntless. And Daniel's there. And I'm going to say it again. Daniel is 90 plus at this point, and he's had some experiences, but this one is greater than them all. I must come on down to verse 18. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me. This is the third time. And he strengthened me. And he said, Oh man, greatly beloved. It's twice he said that to him. Have you ever needed God to tell you a second time that he loves you? Hello, me. He says, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Daniel, I know you hear me. I know you know I'm here. I know your dream is still in the dirt. But Daniel... You're my beloved. Daniel, I don't want you to be afraid at all. Daniel, I'm here to speak peace to you. Daniel, do not fear, and I speak strength to you. Be strong. Verse 19, so when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Whew. Daniel got it. He felt the assurance of God's love. He felt the assurance of God's peace. He felt the assurance of God's presence. And he said, keep speaking to me, God. Keep on talking to me. I'm being strengthened. Let my Lord speak. Tell me some more, God. I need to hear you some more, God. This is what happens when you get dauntless. You're not afraid to hear God speak. Mm. Daniel was experiencing something that he wouldn't have experienced if his dream hadn't been in the dirt. He had to get to the place where what he longed for, hoped for, wanted so much was in a bad spot. And it caused him to cry out to God. It caused him to, to listen to God. It caused him to hear God all of a sudden. And God used this time. He used the dirt to cover over what he was going through, to cover over what he could see. He used it all to help Daniel come alive and see. And he had a worship experience he'd never had before. He all, of a sudden, he all of a sudden understood some things he had never understood before. He all of a sudden saw some things he had never seen before because this is what God does. He moves us into places where what we dream for, long for, and believe a promise for gets put in the dirt. What's in the dirt for you today? 
We all have something. You've got a longing. You've got a hope for your life. You've got a promise God's made to you. You've got a situation. Could be marriage, job, career, finances, family, a loved one. Maybe it's yourself. And all of a sudden you find yourself in the place where it's in the dirt. It's buried. It's covered over. You don't see where the life's going to come from. You've been waiting for a long time and nothing has sprouted yet. Have you noticed that nothing has sprouted yet? God moves us to places where our dream is in the dirt. And God's greatest work happens for the dauntless when their dream is still in the dirt. You see, if we were preaching another series after this, going through chapters 11 and 12, we would unpack some of the most mysterious, miraculous, and powerful truths and prophecy in Scripture. Because God was showing Daniel some things about what was to come, not just in his life, but in our life, what is to come. And God was going to show all of that to Daniel. And he was going to see it. He was going to write it down. But he would have never gotten to that place had he not had his dream be placed in the dirt. So I would say to you today, if you're at the place where you're in the dirt, don't despise the dirt. Don't condemn the dirt. Don't run from the dirt. Don't rush the dirt. The dirt has some work that it has to do. It has to be buried before it can come alive. And it's there that you'll trust him in ways that you haven't before. It's there that you'll see him in ways that you haven't before. But you cannot reject the dirt. I read something this week that just fascinated me. Researchers had found a seed, a seed that belonged to a, a date palm tree. This seed had been discovered in excavations from Herod the Great's palace in Israel. True story. They attempted the best they could to date the date seed. How old is it? What time was it there? When was it placed there? How old is the seed? And their best researchers were stunned to learn that this seed was over 2,000 years old. True story. Google it later. 2,000 years this seed has been sitting there, dormant. Nothing's happened. It's just been a seed. The researchers said, We've got to do what you do with the seed. We've got to plant it. We've got to see what happens. We've got to see what happens if you take the seed and put it in the soil. We've got to see what happens if you take the seed and bury it. We've got to see what happens and see what's inside the seed. They took the seed, they buried it in the soil, they waited and life sprung up from it, even though it was 2,000 years old. Woo! When you hold scripture in your hand today, please 
do not think this seed is too old, too long gone, too far in the past. This seed is alive today. And when you plant it and take it into your heart, the soul of your life, and you believe it, it will come to life. But you, you've got to get it off the shelf and you've got to get it in your heart. I don't know where you are this morning. God does. I don't know what your difficulty is this morning, but God does. I don't know where you're feeling buried this morning, but God does. And I'll say this to you. If you'll do like Daniel, and when you feel covered over, if you'll use that to seek God with all your heart, put aside the pleasures and the ways of the world, seek him, listen to him, worship him, believe him, act on it, and say, God, keep speaking to me. You'll find yourself dauntless. You'll find yourself standing when you haven't stood before. You'll find yourself trembling, but you'll find yourself standing. And you'll find God working and showing you things you've never seen before. But you've got to get to the place where you choose to believe him to start with. That's what you do. So I'd ask you this morning, will you believe what God is saying to you right now? If it means trusting him for the very first time and saying, Jesus, I have never followed you with my life. I've heard about you, but today I'm going to receive you into my life. I'm taking who you are and believing you here, and I will follow you. If that's true, then new life just begun in you. If you've got a difficulty in your life right now, don't act like it's not there. Don't quit. Don't, don't pretend anymore that it's just not a big deal. Face it like Daniel did. Believe what God says when you face it and watch what happens. You'll be dauntless. That's what God's calling us to as a church, I believe, is to be a people who will stand confident, bold in our faith, ready to do whatever he asks us to do, to be dauntless, no matter the case, no matter the temptation, no matter the stress. God, I'll believe you above all else. Would you bow your heads with me? God is speaking. God's calling. The message is true. The appointed time may seem long, but it is true. And he's calling today. Who will believe? Who will see? Who will trust me? Who will walk and be dauntless? Will you be that one today? Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we hear you. We surrender to you. We choose to obey what you've called us to. For us in the room this morning, it may mean a step to come to you for the first time and believe. It may mean the step of choosing to make our faith public and be baptized. It may mean to be obedient in another area of our life where we put aside sin that's held us down. And we choose to set it aside because it's, it's been a distraction. And we choose to walk in obedience to you instead. It may mean to believe a promise that is still yet unfulfilled. And today we do that. We trust you. We believe you. We'll remain faithful until the day you bring it to pass. 
And all the while, we'll worship you freely, humbly, gratefully for what you've said, what you've done. God, we're here. Will you do again in our life what you've done so many times before and show yourself faithful? We pray this morning in the strong, the powerful, the dauntless, the majestic, the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. I hope it has inspired you to lift him up and live him out. If you'd like to know more about Vertical Church, check us out online at verticalchurchovilla.com. We'll see you next time.